Hey there, folks. Welcome to another episode of the Cracked Podcast, the podcast all about why being alive is more interesting than people think it is. My name is Alex Schmidt, and I'm the head of podcasting here at Cracked. I'm also known as Schmitty the Clam. I'm also known as Schmitty the Champ. And I am also, also thinking about the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. Yeah, you know, one of the most famous pieces of uh, visual art on Earth, the Sistine Chapel, was painted by Michelangelo in the early and mid-1500s. And I'm thinking about it because in an artsy way, it reminds me of our topic today. And our topic is infamous scandals with crazy details everybody forgot. One more time, that is infamous scandals with crazy details everybody forgot. And to me, the Sistine Chapel ceiling is a lot like most scandalous stories. Because scandals become just their headline. Everybody knows one, maybe two bullet points about the whole O.J. Simpson or Enron or Richard Nixon thing. And it's kind of like how most people know one or two Sistine Chapel bullet points. They know Michelangelo painted the ceiling. Uh, They know there's the part where God and Adam's fingers touch in the art. And uh, that's about it. Those are the bullet points. But the thing with that Sistine Chapel ceiling is there is more to know. There is more to look at and discover if you look closer. For example, there is a theory that Michelangelo paints God in a cloud thingy that is human brain shaped on purpose because Michelangelo intended a secular message about the origins of faith and religion and so on. So that's one neat thing. And then here's another one, which springs to my knowledge from the Cracked article, Five Iconic Works of Art That Caused Moral Panics by William Kuchenberg. And in the article, he describes how Michelangelo had many enemies in 1500s Italy, and specifically he was opposed by a guy called Biagio de Cesena, who was a powerful Catholic official who was the master of ceremonies to four different popes. And de Cesena lobbied against the nudity in Michelangelo's art, calling it depraved and saying, quote, no work for a papal chapel, but rather for the public baths and taverns, end quote. That was how De Cezanne described the Sistine Chapel, and Michelangelo was pissed about that. So, if you look at one section of Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel artwork, it's entitled The Last Judgment, and you will see a depiction of a mostly nude old man with all of De Cezanne's features, plus donkey ears. Michelangelo is calling him an ass through his art. Also, I call this donkey De Cezanne a mostly nude figure, because the figure's genitals are very tastefully, very politely covered by a huge snake biting them. Uh, You know, it's technically covered, but it's also being attacked. Uh, And that was Michelangelo's revenge on, uh, on this guy he didn't like. That's just up there in the ceiling. And I think that's way more interesting knowing that. That's cooler than the details you knew, right? I think so. And I think that's analogous to today's show where we're looking at the scandalous stories you know and then zooming in on that little thing in the corner there where there's a penis-biting snake, uh, metaphorically. And boy, oh boy, I am excited about the guest that I am penis-snake hunting with. Dana Gould is an incredible stand-up comedian. He's a former writer for The Simpsons and for Parks and Rec and so much more. He created the IFC show Stan Against Evil. He hosts the excellent podcast entitled The Dana Gould Hour. And besides those many credits, Dana is touring right now with fellow comedy legend Bobcat Goldthwaite. It's called The Show with Two Heads. You can see it February 3rd, which is the day this releases in Santa Barbara, California. Then February 6th in Atlanta, Georgia, February 7th in Athens, Georgia, February 8th, Asheville, North Carolina. Uh, So links for tickets are, of course, in our footnotes. 
And most importantly, uh, Dana's comedic mind is incredible at pulling at little threads and bigger stories. Uh, if you know his stand-up, you know this to be true, and so we had the absolute best time finding the, the Renaissance penis snakes hidden in the biggest scandals of modern times on this episode. So, please sit back or stand beneath Michelangelo's masterpiece in the Vatican, listening to our podcast about, you know, Richard Nixon stuff and other things instead of your tour guide. Who needs them? And here's this episode of the Cracked Podcast with Dana Gould. I'll be back after we wrap up. Talk to you then. Well, Dana, we have so many scandals here. Maybe let's start with some of the biggest scandals of sure. all time, because one reason for having you on this one in particular is Nixon stuff. Mm-hmm. Richard Nixon, a famed president who also, I feel like he's famous for like one thing, right? Like a lot of these scandals, they're only famous for one way. It's like right. Nixon Watergate, Nixon Watergate. That's and, all we got. And it's a shame because he was an incredibly important figure in the 20th century. Yeah. I have a special affinity for him, although I am... You know, he would have hated me <laughs> politically. I'm a, a commie pinko uh, in, think, his, uh, in his view. But uh, I think he hated anyone who was yeah. not like actively doing burglaries for him. <laughs> yeah. Was, Anybody else. Uh, not enemies. Richard Nixon. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, when I was a child, I had an impression of Richard Nixon that I did. I'm like just seven, eight, nine years old. And that was like my first bit. <laughs> and my father would like call me downstairs from bed. Come here and do Nixon, then you can go back to bed. <laughs> and his friends would be over, and I would do Richard, my fellow Americans. Let me make this perfectly clear. And I would get a big laugh. And then, I, and so you don't need Freud to deduce how I ended up doing this for a living. It was it was imprinted very early on. Stand up, make people laugh, you get love and acceptance. But no, he was uh, Dwight Eisenhower's vice president for for eight years, and. He very successfully boxed in the Soviet Union by recognizing China in 1972. And the expression yeah. was only Nixon could have done it because he was such a staunch anti-communist that only he could have recognized communist China. But he right, did that right. to box in the Soviet Union. It was actually uh, quite brilliant. But, yeah, Watergate was what uh, brought him down. And as Henry Kissinger said about Watergate was, you know, he finally... Hired a couple of guys dumb enough to do what he told them to do. <laughs> Most people say, sure, Richard, yeah, sure, we'll do it. And then just, what do we, don't do that. Just just go back to work. If I was working for a crazy president, and I, I can't see how this thinking would be relevant can, to anyone. We can only right imagine what that must be like. Uh, but if I, if I was working for a crazy president, they're so busy, I think I would just let them tell me things. Yeah. And then let them forget they told me things. Yeah, and you when know? he was under it's easy. And when he was under pressure, he would he would drink and call people at two in the morning and like, you know, yeah. we're not gonna unrecognize Italy. Like, <laughs> you know, like we're not gonna we're not gonna do that. Yeah, but I, I know this scandal quite well. So I feel like people most know that Nixon tried to cover up a burglary that they did to sway the nineteen seventy two election at the Watergate right. Hotel. And one crazy detail we've got here is that when they were trying to hide Watergate, they like kidnapped and attacked the wife of the attorney general. Yes. Because she heard about it. And so they thought, why don't we do like this just grabbing her scheme and abducting her to cover it up? Yeah. Well, the attorney general was John Mitchell, who the Watergate break in happened under his watch. And then he went to run Nixon's reelection campaign 
the Committee for the Re-Election of the President with the acronym <laughs> CREEP, which could not have been, you couldn't write this stuff. Martha yeah. Mitchell was a very colorful figure, also loved to get bombed right. and call reporters on the phone. And because she was married to John Mitchell, she knew everything, and she would call reporters at 2 in the morning. Do you know what Richard Nixon said about my husband today? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there was at one point the FBI or whoever these kind of rogue agents were got her drunk and moved her to a quote moved her to a safe house <laughs> right. for her own protection and basically yeah they kidnapped her and got her drunk but that was it was a it was a festival of euphemisms at that point because also what I understand of a safe house is you're being hunted by bad people so yeah. a safe house protects you from them but in mm-hmm. this case the safe house is. We, the bad people, need to hide the person yeah. who knows about our stuff from other people. Yeah, and, and even in the safe house, she was making calls saying, I'm kidnapped in a safe house. And no one believed her because it seemed so insane. And people do forget about that. John Mitchell, the attorney general of the United States, went to jail. All we remember is Nixon like doing peace signs on the lawn yeah. and then the helicopter leaves. Yeah. That's all we got. He was indicted, certainly. I'm assuming you went to jail. Oh, Mitchell? Yeah. 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 Martha Mitchell, when you did an impression of her, there was a lovely Southern accent because her nickname was the Mouth of the South. Yeah, yeah. Because she uh, would just call people up. And one of them was Helen Thomas, who became a legendary White House reporter because Martha Mitchell said, hey, James W. McCord, who is my daughter's bodyguard, is involved in this like crazy break in. Why don't I tell you about it? And then all Helen Thomas heard on the phone was someone grabbing the phone and Martha saying, you just get away. And then the yep. phone hanging up Yep. because then those people abducted her to a country club where they uh, sedated her and reportedly had her at gunpoint. Yeah, I believe it. I, I believe it. I believe it. And uh, I just checked. Yes, he went to prison for 19 months. Which, by white collar standards, is a lot of time. There's a lot of time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mean, usually, the, usually it's like a week, and it's just salmon the whole time. You former, know? yeah, former chief law enforcement officer of the United States of America, John. Yeah, Mitchell. and yeah. he went to jail. And he went to jail. <laughs> yeah, no, it's crazy. Thank God we've stopped holding people accountable. Ah, yeah. That's no good. more of that mess. Yeah. <laughs> with the story with Martha Mitchell. Uh, She was, like we said, grabbed, according to witnesses, maybe beaten up in this country club where she was held and sedated and kept. And the Nixon administration said, oh, she's crazy. It's nothing. Later, Watergate came out and it was all a thing. Right. Um, But also the. She was crazy. I mean, she she was. Oh, separately. Yeah. She was she was drunk. And I mean, I and 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 a loon. The stuff she happened to be saying was true. Right. <laughs> but especially because, uh, you know, sexism probably helped the administration be yeah, like, ah, the ladies. It's you know? 1972. Yeah. It was a different world. If you hear about a scandal from abroad, mm, I don't know. Yeah, you exactly. Know, it was that kind of thing. Exactly. But also the main guy who, like, grabbed her and abducted her, it's so strange, but his name was Stephen King. And it's like spelled exactly like the the legend of horror writing <laughs> Stephen King, but it's just a completely separate guy who was like a goon for the Nixon administration, yep. Yep. and is now in the present day the U.S. ambassador to the Czech Republic because uh, the Trump administration right. nominated him and the Senate confirmed him. Oh, sure. And, and now he's well, all these guys just he is seventy eight years old and is the present day representative for our country to the Czechs to the Czech. That's Republic, what's going right. on with him. I I remember reading about it in history, in history class, and it was also just about the last president our book covered, so we needed better books. But (laughs) but like reading about Watergate and and it would just kind of casually say, yeah, the president broke into his opponent's offices and then tried to cover it up and they got caught. 
And it's like, oh, okay, well, I guess that worked itself out. But yeah. no, there were like all these layers to it and weird people involved. And, and, and I remember it's crazy. Wa- I remember watching the Watergate hearings on television as a child, and I thought it was about water. <laughs> it is a very evocative name for a hotel, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it feels like it's at Niagara or something, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. It's really cool. I've, yeah, I have been in the Watergate Hotel. Oh. And uh, last summer. What were you breaking into? Uh, show business. <laughs> uh, Bobcat Goldthwait and I were touring the country, as we, as we will be. Uh, yes. The week this show airs, I believe. Atlanta, Georgia, Athens, Georgia, yeah. uh, Asheville, uh, North Carolina. Me and Bobcat Goldthwait will be the show with two heads. We were performing at Kennedy Center and stayed oh. at the Watergate Hotel. Two things happened. I left my favorite jacket there, and when I called the next day, it would have been gone. Stolen. A crime was committed right. <laughs> at the Watergate Hotel. I was, hoping, I was hoping you were going to say, like, and then I broke in and took yeah, it back. Yeah, took it yeah, in. yeah. Well, that's they do that now. It's like, you don't need to break in. Just ask for another key. Like, they're all, they have, <laughs> believe me, the jokes are all over the place. But we walked down to the Kennedy Center. right across the street, but you can't see it because the trees. And uh, me and Bobcat go, uh, hey, how do, you, uh, how do you get to the Kennedy Center? And I swear to Christ, the guy goes, go down to the end of the driveway. It's a straight shot. Maybe not the best choice no. of words. <laughs> there's also there's another Nixon story here because like I think he's most famous for interfering with the 1972 election when he was trying to mm-hmm. get reelected. And, and, and that's and that's amazing. It's the history. If you do not learn from history, it repeats itself. You know, it, it's the same that Trump did. He was like trying to get dirt on his opponent. Yeah. So he could get the opponent that he wanted. You know, he didn't want to run against Ed Muskie. Because Ed Muskie was a popular centrist who could steal votes from Nixon. Nixon only won by a very slim margin in 1968 against Hubert Humphrey. He just squeaked it out. Uh, And he wanted to run against a proud, unapologetic liberal, George McGovern. And uh, he did. Because with with both these elections, like 72, I feel like the other thing I noticed when I was learning about Watergate is I was like, why did he do a break in to try to win this landslide of an election where he won all but one of the states? Uh And then this 1968 election, like you said, it was very, very close. Nixon ends up beating Hubert H. Humphrey by 0.7% of the vote nationally. But in the run up to it, it's Nixon running against this former vice president, Hubert Humphrey. Right. And Humphrey's running on a peace plank of, we're going to end this recently started Vietnam War. Right. It only started a few years ago. We're talking to all the sides and we're going to have a peace deal. And Nixon was like, oh no, if there's peace in Vietnam, maybe I don't get elected president. Yet again, I lose a presidential election. That would be so sad. So he does something really illegal. Yeah. And he talks to, is it Chenault? In October of 1968, so this is the month before the election. He speaks uh, to this woman known as the Dragon Lady. Before that, LBJ is the president, who's not running to get reelected, but he's the president, and LBJ and the North Vietnamese agree to a halt of bombing in Vietnam in October 1968. It looks like there's going to be peace. Three days before the election, the polls have Humphrey up a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then one day before the election, the South Vietnamese pull out of the peace talks completely. Oh, no, the peace talks don't work anymore. Right. And based on various notes and recorded phone calls and other evidence we have, Nixon and his campaign used various schemes, including a lady named Anna Chenault. Anna Chenault, right. To talk directly with the South Vietnamese. They said, you'll get a much better deal under Nixon than you will under Humphrey. And so they pulled out. out. So, Yeah. yeah, Nixon was, as an independent private citizen, negotiating with a foreign power. And sabotaging peace talks. Sabotaging peace talks. The minute he was sworn in, then they said, 
okay, we got elected. Now let's sign the peace talks. <laughs> <He's> like, <laughs> no, no, you promised me a better deal. I what's my better right. deal? And by and large, they ended up at basically that deal. Yeah. It was not markedly different. So there was a deal on the table in 1968, and we will have yeah. notes about the yeah. details of it and the eventual 1973 yeah. peace deal. Yeah, we are, we are, speaking, in genera- we are speaking in generalities. Yeah. But, but by and large, all of the people that died in Vietnam, North Vietnamese, South Vietnamese, and Americans. Right, for about five years. For about five, uh, the five worst years of the war. Yeah. It was basically running in a circle. Yeah, and while the, everybody was trying to save face. In the meantime, Nixon is elected president twice, and then he and Henry Kissinger uh, kind of take credit for making a peace deal happen, even though they sabotaged it to get elected in the first place. No one talks about this. We only talk about a hotel break-in. That's it's right. crazy. Yeah. And then, as far as evidence of it goes, we'll have a link to a Smithsonian article where they cover... Notes written by H.R. Haldeman, a famed fixer for Nixon. Yep. But notes from a call on October 22nd, 1968. The notes say things like, keep Anna Chenault working on South Vietnam. Uh, There's also one part of the notes that say, quote, any other way to monkey wrench it? Anything RN can do. End quote. Uh, RN is Richard Nixon. Uh, They were just like doing notes in the week or two before a presidential election of how do we fuck up a peace talk to get elected by extending a war? The interesting thing about Nixon is, yeah, the thing that brought him down was this piddly little thing. But he had a lot of enemies. You know, if you don't have friends when you need them, you're you're screwed. (laughs) One other, like, big presidential kind of one here where I think people have heard of the Iran-Contra scandal, which happened under Ronald Reagan. And this is coming from uh, Six Infamous Scandals with Crazy Details the Public Forgot is the correct article. But there was a whole scandal with Iran and the Contras, and the super short version is Reagan... it almost got Reagan impeached. Right? Yeah, and it's kind of crazy. It and people forget it. It's basically two huge scandals all at once. Yeah, uh, it was a thing where Congress said that you cannot fund the Contras in Nicaragua right. because they're revolutionaries and doing a bunch of horrible stuff. So yeah. you can't give them money. Yeah. And so the Reagan administration idea was to illegally sell weapons to Iran. And the Contras and then, were, in Nicaragua, the the Contras were fighting the Sandinistas, uh-huh. uh, if, uh, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's right. Uh, yeah. yeah. And uh, the, the Sandinistas were communist backed, I mm-hmm. believe. And the Contras were not because they were anti-communists. Reagan wanted to fund them. Yeah. Even though they were just a different kind of, of criminal. We call them the Contra. Contra, of course, Spanish means other, uh, against, uh, fighting against the Sandinistas, but Reagan called them the freedom fighters, the (laughs) Nicaraguan freedom fighters. So they sold weapons to the, like, Islamic revolutionary government in Iran and then tried to take the profits from that and funnel it to these violent Contras in Nicaragua. The government that, up until about a year ago, was holding 52 Americans hostage yeah. to our great consternation. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And Reagan said, we are not, you know, we do not do business with terrorists. We are not doing this. We are not doing this. Well, a guy named Oliver North yeah. was. And, uh, and also a guy named Elliot Abrams was working on it. Yep. And so it's called Iran-Contra, and so I think people just remember the two sales and funnelings going mm-hmm. on in Iran and Nicaragua. But meanwhile, there were like, 
other schemes they were trying to think of to fund the Contras. We just have to fund these freedom mm-hmm. fighters. Right. And, and they were so, doing things like burning people up alive. <laughs> yeah. Burning down hospitals, <laughs> yeah, I believe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll have links about it. Yeah. And so Elliot Abrams, working for the Reagan administration, talked to, of all people, the Sultan of Brunei, mm-hmm. which is just like, to me, the Sultan of Brunei was wacky comedy shorthand for rich guy <laughs> until I actually learned who that is. It's an actual person. That's a, a very small, very rich country in Southeast Asia. And uh, the Sultan of Brunei agreed to send $10 million to the Contras. And so all the Reagan administration people needed to do is just the paperwork. That's all right. they needed to do. And then Oliver North, in, in his infinite wisdom, takes the Swiss bank account number that it's supposed to go into and flips two of the digits. He transposes two digits. That's a, it's a mistake. And so the Sultan of Brunei's money gets sent to a random Swiss uh, shipping executive. Just $10 million straight into his account. The executive immediately transfers and keeps the money. This I did not know. Right. So un- underneath all this, like trying to sell to Iran to fund the Contras, there was also, oh, we've also got Brunei can do this. But Oliver North just messed up the paperwork. Well, you know, the, <laughs> and so it's they, always that stupid stuff. The thing that screwed up Watergate was that G. Gordon Liddy left a piece of tape <laughs> on a door. And right. the security guard saw that the door had been taped. Right. You know, it's, it's just the littlest thing. And so then basically the entire Iran-Contra investigation happens across 1986, 1987. And they figure out everything except where a chunk of $10 million went. And it's because Oliver North fucked up and sent it to truly just a Swiss guy. And and if you wonder, like, whatever happened to that clown? Well, he was running the NRA for a year (laughs) last year. Still doing stuff. Yeah. And we'll link to an L.A. Times article from 1987, which says, quote, the unnamed shipping executive told authorities that he had been expecting a large amount to be deposited into his account at about the same time that the Sultan's money appeared and that he was not aware the 10 million had been put there by mistake. Either that's a really good lie or it's just the life of a Swiss shipping executive. There's another crazy thing about the uh, Iran-Contra that involved a guy named Hassenfuss. Eugene Hassenfuss was a former United States Marine who helped fly weapon shipments on behalf of the U.S. government into the right-wing Contra death squads in Nicaragua. <laughs> that's one of the that's the other two words from their title that we have li- history oh, yeah. has trimmed off. Right. Contra death squads. <laughs> he was the sole survivor after his plane was shot down by the Nicaraguan government in 1986 and was sentenced to 30 years in prison for terrorism and other charges, but mm. was pardoned and released the same year. The statements he made to the Sandinista government resulted in the controversy in the U.S. government. It was him being captured that triggered that whole thing. As a German-American, I was always really excited to see that Nixon had guys with crazy German names like Haldeman and Ehrlichman. Ehrlichman. I had no idea there was a Hassenfuss involved in Iran-Contra. This is great. You know, Reagan was due to be impeached for Iran-Contra, and and he said, I remember his mea culpa was exquisitely worded. It was like, I said repeatedly that we would not, you know, that we did not illegally fund this revolution through dealings with terrorists. And I know in my heart that we would never do that. But evidence has proved that I'm incorrect. <laughs> like it was the most, it was the most bloodless. He was close to getting impeached. People forget that. Yeah, and as I understand it, partly just it being toward the end of his second term, people decided, ah, oh, it's not worth the pain to the country to be well, the impeaching o- this guy. And another thing at the time is he kept they kept asking him these questions. And after his presidency, he was brought in 
because it was a big scandal. And he was like going, I forget, I forget, I forget, I forget. And like, yeah, sure you do, buddy. And it turns out, no, his his symptoms were already yeah. uh, presenting. Really didn't remember some of it. Yeah. No, it's very sad. And yeah, and then I love that there was $10 million just misplaced. And then one of the last steps of investigating where the money went, they basically figured out where the $10 million was. They talked the they talked the Swiss businessman into returning it. And then there was an argument. Because... I wonder how that went. <laughs> yeah. I, talked it's... him into returning. Did, did Marlon Brando make that <laughs> Right. Somebody stroking a cat. And, you know. Yeah. And then also, then there was a whole separate argument because 1986, the Swiss businessman receives the money. 1987, they find it, ask him to return it. In the interim, he earned $253,000 in interest, interest on it and in investing it and, and making money off it. And so then there was an argument where the businessman said, I get the proceeds, obviously, because yeah. I did a good job with the money. Right. Like, you you misplaced it, but I, I did yeah. that, so that's mine. Right. Uh, so there was just this whole wacky, I'm like, sure like, nope, <laughs> <laughs> banking issue. Yeah. yeah. It seems like we could use some kind of explainer for the country on the difference between a billion and a trillion. I think people uh-huh. don't know, like that we'll spend a trillion on a war, but then that's one thousand billion. Like that's yeah. all that we could we could do so much with that. You know? Well, it's also like, what are you going to spend all this money on? Helping kids? Mm. What are you going to spend <laughs> blowing shit up? Okay, yeah. <laughs> I've seen that in movies. Cool. Yeah, yeah. No, that's it. That's it. You know, that's it. Well, we've got, a, and then there's other other scandals yeah. here and stuff. There was a a scandal that I, I think people remember from 2015, which was when Cecil the lion was hunted, and it was oh, it was very yeah. sad that a lion a lion was killed. Cecil the lion was a lion in Zimbabwe in a national park uh, that was hunted and killed, and then there was international outrage about this nice lion being killed. Right, and I remember that stage of the story, and I remember at the time learning one more stage where it was like, hey, this dentist named Walter Palmer who mm-hmm. hunted this lion. Hey, the second stage of the story is he had a permit, uh, he had a guide, he did all the paperwork, right. he like paid a fee, and then they allow a few of these animals to be hunted in order to fund conserving the rest of them. Sure. And it's actually like a standard practice whether or not right. it's good. There were kind of two famous stages to the story. There was stage one, how could he kill this lion? And then there was stage two, he was allowed to kill the lion right. and we should debate the right. practices and but so the, on. And he was like, no, I'm a good hunter, I follow the rules. Well, you haven't always. <laughs> right. There's like another detail where back in 2006, Walter was hunting black bears in Wisconsin, in uh, America, number one country. And he uh, was out there doing that, and he had a permit to hunt them in one county, and instead he went 40 miles over the county line, 40, and then completed an illegal kill, and then tried to bribe his guides with $20,000 to lie about it, mm-hmm. which is just fully wrong. Yeah. Uh, he shouldn't do that right. legally. And then also uh, the guides turned him in instead of taking the bribe. He was given a year's probation and surprisingly only about a $3,000 fine. So sure. it's actually way smaller. Yeah, he's, than the bribe. Yeah, he's, he's one of us. He's all right. Right. You know, white collar hunting crime. And with this Walter Palmer guy, like, I feel like the surprising detail of the story, like, like the ethics of hunting aside, he just is an unethical, illegal hunter yeah. in ways nobody knows. Right. Like yeah. The, the yeah, lion yeah, killing he, he was did, like yeah, mostly legal and yeah. mostly fine uh, legally. And right. then he was doing this whole nother bear hunt before that that never came up in the story or, and nobody talked about it. I love when like a lion kills a poacher. <laughs> or so, like, you know, I love those stories. Like, uh, you know, guys are shooting an elephant and elephant stampedes them. And, and whenever you post, you know, I'll re- repost it with like "ha ha" or something, or like that's you know, the I, only time. That's the only time right wingers feel empathy for humanity. Is like 
poor guy was probably just trying to feed his family. Uh huh. Yeah, it's such a, such a weird mindset of how we value these people and creatures and everything else. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I'll I'll I will fully admit if a poacher gets killed, I laugh. If an elephant gets killed, I cry. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> There's uh, another story here. Uh, this is uh, the the classic huge scandal of OJ. Oh, good old good old OJ and all things about him. Uh, what did think... he do? <laughs> <laughs> and people don't really know about one of the key people representing him uh, was this guy F. Lee Bailey. F. Lee Bailey, sure. And who was a lawyer for a whole bunch of high profile people. But, Hugely uh, famous lawyer. Yeah, and we'll and we'll we'll link it. He represented Patty Hearst and the yep. Boston Strangler. So he represented like very famous, very powerful, very notorious people a lot. And one of his clients was a guy named Claude Dubac, uh, who was a drug dealer who trafficked 60 tons of marijuana into the United States and sold it at a profit of $160 million. So Effley Bailey was representing this very, very rich guy. And uh, the government offered Dubac a reduced three-year sentence if Dubac revealed and turned over his assets. Uh, which included $6 million in biotech stocks and various other stuff. And so the as they were doing that deal, they said, okay, lawyer F. Lee Bailey, your job is to just manage these assets until we do the deal uh, with your client, the drug dealer. Like, just manage them. Don't do anything crazy. And OJ's former lawyer, F. Lee Bailey, proceeds to keep all the profits from all these various things that his client owned, which is such an unethical thing to do that the Supreme Court... <laughs> said that he was guilty of, quote, the most serious and basic trust account violations Mm -hmm. and then ended up disbarring him and punishing him. And his client ended up with a life sentence instead of being able to make a deal with the government. So one of O.J.'s lawyers is perhaps more unethical. I don't know. (laughs) What a guy. Wild. And he wasn't disbarred until uh, the early 2000s. Yeah, yeah. Which is just just crazy that, like, I feel like I, maybe it's because O.J. had so many lawyers working for him. Like, there's a long tale of, like, O.J. alumni who then go on to do other things. Well, it's so funny. When O.J. was convicted of his kidnapping charge, <laughs> <laughs> this guy cannot stop himself. Yeah, yeah. He stopped talking to lawyer, and uh, Simpson was told by prison officials if he wanted to stay on the good side of the parole board, Mm-hmm. Do not involve Effley Bailey. <laughs> and he's out now, isn't he? OJ? Yeah. I think so. Yeah, he's like tweeting and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> and that's so amazing that even for OJ, they were like, listen, you'll get a bad reputation if you hang out with Effley Bailey. Like, you, OJ Simpson, can't afford it. <laughs> yeah. Like, you got <laughs> Yeah. You've got a good rep now, OJ, but Effley Bailey might sully it. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. <laughs> It's amazing. And then uh, there's another case here. Uh, this is very, very recent, but there was the whole story of Elizabeth Holmes, uh, who, oh, if people don't know, was a... Elizabeth Holmes. <laughs> Ran Theranos. This is... This, this story is like porn to me. Like, it's so, <laughs> so delicious. Right. There's so many layers, right? Like, it's yeah. it's a... She's a tech person who's clearly trying to be a Steve Jobs, but her whole she's scheme... She's a con artist. ...of this medical of the testing highest, is fake. She's a con artist of the highest caliber. Yeah. So much so, and this is what she has in common with O.J. I believe that O.J. Simpson has convinced himself that he didn't do it because he <laughs> couldn't do it. Oh. You know, if you recall, when he was acquitted, he said, or just before he was acquitted, his closing statement was, I hope people realize that I did not, would not, could not 
have killed my wife, which is it's an odd time to quote Dr. Seuss. <laughs> but, you know, he I believe that he believes that he didn't do it. And the, Elizabeth Holmes, I believe, thinks that she could will this thing into existence. Yeah. And, and to me, the craziest thing about it is she had an idea. She famously took on all the uh, affects of Steve Jobs. Yeah. She would wear black turtlenecks all the time. She lowered her voice artificially when she was spoke to people because she thought people would take her more seriously. Yeah. So when you listen to her interview, she talks like this. She has the voice that no non-drag queen has. <laughs> and she is trying to will herself into becoming this other person. And I believe that she convinced herself that this thing could work because she believed in it, that she could become basically Steve Jobs because she believed in it. And she suckered a lot of very wealthy people into agreeing with her. Hundreds of millions of dollars. And we'll have various links to it. The The best one is probably a Vanity Fair piece by Nick Bilton from yeah. February of 2019. Uh, but it, it's basically this thing where Theranos claimed it had a, a technology that could test a little bit of your blood and detect a whole bunch of diseases. Right. And so they put you it no in. You no longer have to give a vial of blood. You could do a finger prick at a, at a Walgreens. Yeah. And it would print out everything that was wrong with you. Yeah. And it's and a the, brilliant idea. The only problem didn't work. Right. It was made up. It didn't do it. Yeah. And so then there was a very damning Wall Street Journal report and then things and started to come out about it. a great book about it called Bad Blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's it's a pretty well-known story in most of its parts. And then I think people don't know that along the way, as the whole company was collapsing and all falling apart, Elizabeth Holmes adopted a dog, decided it was a wolf, and let it just, like, shit and piss all over the office all of right. the time. Right. <laughs> so the, they're having the, all these very important meetings, and there's a crazed dog in yeah, the background. And science, and science, like, is, you know, samples are being contaminated yeah but yeah. the craziest part is that she just decided it was a wolf yeah and that's all you needed to know <laughs> oh then then this is a wolf because she says it's a wolf the eventual fraud charges by the sec come in march of 2018 but in the fall of 2017 when elizabeth holmes really needs to work on fixing this She's flying first class across the world and having chauffeurs bring her to a puppy mill and stuff to pick up a nine-week-old Siberian husky. Uh, she named it Balto after, like, the dog, the, the dog from book. the animated yeah. movie and stuff. But you don't need to fly across the world to get a Siberian husky. Right. You can get them right here in America. Probably get one in Sacramento. <laughs> And according to the story, quote, upon discovering that a small part of Siberian Husky's genomes traced back to an ancient wolf, Holmes decided that her puppy, too, was actually a wolf. She would reportedly repeat this thoroughly unsubstantiated claim to anyone who asked her about Balto's breed, something she apparently still does to this day, yeah. end quote. Who's a wolf? Right, just decided she owns a wolf. Yeah. And then from there, they would let the dog just march through the labs, contaminating samples with its hair uh, <laughs> and just peeing and pooping all over the place, including in board meetings because it wasn't trained because she decided it was oh, that... a wolf. Because it's that kind of thing where we, we imagine these scandals as like, like even with Nixon, a lot of our picture of it is the movie All the President's yeah. Men, where it's all these cool shots of deep throat smoking in the garage yeah. and like Redford and Hoffman are the reporters. And it's like put together. We don't think of these scandals as happening with like a loose untrained dog it's just making a, a really uncool mess all over it's the funniest thing to me when we have one 
Trump scandal here too. That is, it's particularly what? strange, <laughs> right? <laughs> I feel not like my, not my, tr- not my president. Okay. I feel like just the surprising thing about it is it is less famous than all the other scandals. Even though I feel like, especially in light of recent news, it should be more famous. Which is that, according to especially a New Yorker's piece by Adam Davidson in March of 2017, but according to a lot, of, a lot of reporting around it too, Donald Trump and his organization. Oh did a deal to build a hotel in Azerbaijan. Right. And the long story short is that they did a deal with people who were probably laundering money for the Iranian Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, the same yes. organization that he, Trump Later has proceeded to uh, blow yeah. up people from. Right. right. <laughs> but from 2012 till all the way to December of 2016, they were working on a hotel in Baku, Azerbaijan. It's mm-hmm. the main city in that country. That was probably money laundering for right. now well, the group he calls terrorists. And yeah, like, well, it's crazy to anybody who staunchly defends. You know, it's just like there's always the tell. You know, like well, why? <laughs> you know, like, there's a reason he won't let anyone see his income taxes because oh yeah, you know, but because the, they're the too word, good. Well, it's just but it, yeah, they're too perfect. You know, <laughs> anybody anybody who has been in New York since the '80s knows that Donald Trump was the money launderer for these Russian <laughs> oligarchs. They, you know, it's just like, that's what he did. It's, it's like, it's not, everybody knows it. With this particular deal, they signed multiple contracts in 2012 to build Trump Tower Baku, uh, and it was a deal with the Mamadov family, which is a particularly powerful and corrupt family in Azerbaijan. A U.S. diplomat described its patriarch Zia Mamadov as, quote, notoriously corrupt even for Azerbaijan <laughs> which I mean we all know Azerbaijanian corruption and uh, let me tell you even for imagine more and so then from there the Mamadovs hired a Iranian construction company called Azerpasillo that was moving money literally millions of dollars around in duffel bags as they yeah. were doing things I'm sure I'm and sure, it's yeah. uh, probably because this was all money laundering and one indicator of that is that the hotel was never finished it's still just sitting there yeah, unfinished in the city. Not. In 2018, part of it caught on fire, and they just kind of tried to put it out. Yeah. It probably didn't get finished and stuff because it was ultimately money laundering and profiting for the Iranians yeah. uh, that, that we're now, like, you know, mad at. Yeah, well, he didn't... crazy. Well, no, he didn't want to do what he did. You could tell he's... Like, he was elbowed into it by Mike Pompeo, by... Oh. Being told this will be your Benghazi, and he didn't want that. But you know, you can, you've seen him talk. You can tell when he believes what he's saying. When he's like, "She should be in jail," right? right. And then we have sent a bomb to a place <laughs> that we think. Yeah, yeah, like you yeah, can, yeah, you sure. know, you know when he's not. In, you know when his heart's not into it. He doesn't have a. T- you know, he's got to <laughs> tell. He's got to tell. You know, it's sort of like the Nixon Anna Chenault thing, like. Sometimes yeah. it's yeah. just too big, right? And your brain just shuts off. Like, yeah. So, and, and the reason, yeah. and the reason that they tried to keep the Ukrainian thing so narrow was to keep it bite-sized. Like, this is wrong. This is what he did on this phone call. We'll do one thing. Yeah, and this is it, and people can understand it. And you know, when he gets up, people still know this was wrong, and maybe he'll think twice about doing it again. Maybe doubtful. 
and then we've got it's two other stories here, but the whole thing with Donald Trump was digging for dirt in Ukraine and he was going to get the Bidens with it. And that was a whole thing. Yeah. Uh, and it was all around this guy, Hunter Biden, who was Joe Biden's son. Right. And it turns out there are other strange things about Hunter yeah. Biden that are like actually strange. The Ukraine stuff's made up. Yeah. Uh, but Ukraine we've got a couple yeah. a couple things here that are like oh, yeah, scandalous. Didn't he date it's his sister-in-law or something? Or Yeah. So... There's two actual scandals here. The one quick one is he was kicked out of the U.S. Navy Reserve for cocaine. He joined the Navy Reserve Mm -hmm. in May of 2013 and was caught with cocaine in June of 2013, or he tested positive for it, I should say, and was then discharged and so on. So that's scandalous. It's not good. Yeah. But Uh, then these days, it's like, rich guy has cocaine. Oh, my God. Right. What a scandal. It's an accessory. You know, it's whatever. People like it. People like, (laughs) you're you're, having good for him. He had some blow. Good for him. (laughs) People And then, uh, and yeah, then the other strange Hunter Biden thing is just his overall love life. And one thing is that in late 2015, Hunter Biden separates from his wife of 22 years, who we had three kids with, and begins dating Hallie Biden, who has the same last name as him because she was the widow of, of his, his brother. brother Bo. Yeah. Yes. And that, it's her. odd. Yeah. It's an right. odd thing. Then the continued Hunter Biden thing is after at least a year, he and his brother's widow split up. Uh, and then in May of 2019, Hunter Biden marries a woman named Melissa Cohen after six days of dating, which is fast. I didn't uh, know that. And then that same month, another woman named London Alexis Roberts files a paternity suit in Arkansas for a child born August 2018. And she had DNA evidence that it was Hunter Biden's child. So then also that's going on. None of this is like a an international crime or anything. It's just like strange that nobody knows these things, right? Because of the the main made because up the Ukraine fake one, thing yeah, going the on. fake one, yeah, yeah. And it's, it, it's and the weirdest. Again, the more we can notice all these crazy and important details inside larger scandals, the more truth we're getting. You know? Yeah, like even even if they're unpleasant or whatever, it's like yeah. well, at least we know the whole picture and we have all the perspective and like we know the Cecil the Lion dentist committed this other crime on the side. Yeah, it's the old you know. When people show you who they are, believe them. Yeah, so this this Fox News was peddling this conspiracy that they knew was fake. Rudy Giuliani right. believes it's true. Talks, you know, it's too crazy. <laughs> They're too crazy old men. And then he calls Trump. Trump believes it's true. I mean, I believe that Rudy Giuliani and Donald Trump believe it's true, despite the fact right. that they have been told a billion times it's not true. That's undercut by the thing that Trump didn't want an investigation. He just wanted it announced. Yeah, right. He you just know, wanted so the to seed. all the people that say that he's fighting corruption. Well, then he would have wanted an investigation. If there was an investigation, <laughs> they wouldn't announce it because people don't announce corruption investigations. That tips off the people who you're investigating that you're on to them. But if you just yeah. announce it, then you can say, look, you saw the news. He's being investigated. And they don't do anything about it because it's just a way to beat up Joe Biden. Right. The other really cold blooded thing about that is when they looked at Joe Biden, you know, they said, like, well, they do oppo research. They go, well, what's the, you know, what's his Achilles heel? What's the thing? His family. You know, his wife died when they were newly married. He raised his kids himself. Yeah. You know, it's like to any decent human being, it would be like you can go after him on anything except his family. Right. And so they go, okay, we go after his family. And only that. Right. You know, (laughs) it's that sort of thuggish guys that had bone spurs but watch The Godfather and thinks that makes them tough mobsters yeah Yeah. it's just like a a lack of empathy uh, and that leads him to do it yeah Yeah. one scandal here that is somewhat wacky and maybe maybe that's a good closing scandal if there is such a thing this is from the good old days of enron 
which was a a lovely American company in the Bush era. So the Enron scandal breaks in October of 2001. For people who were not around then, it was an energy company whose earnings were fake and it was all inflated. Right. Enron jacked up the prices of energy by creating a fake energy deficit or something. They they didn't (laughs) exist. The way they cooked the books. That was Enron that created that fake power outage. So they're ultimately great. Uh, No, I'm just kidding. Because Enron, they uh, were doing all this, and they were found out in October 2001, and so their stock price collapsed, and and that was it. But what happened in May of 2001 is that the CEO of Enron Energy Services, uh, so one of their- Ken Lay, or? uh, Is a guy named Lou Pai, P-A-I. So he was one of the key executives there. He was basically right below Ken Lay. But he resigns his position and sells all of his stock at about $53 per share, uh, which nets him $280 million, approximately. It's good he sold it then, because by the end of 2001, their stock was only worth about $0.40 cents per share. Wow. <laughs> like $0.40. So he, he got out at exactly the right time. And it turns out Lou Pai got out then because he had impregnated a stripper, and who he then proceeded to marry. But this led to his wife wanting to divorce him. As part of the settlement, he needed to sell all of his stock to have money to give her. But ultimately, he was out of the company and cashed out before everything fell apart. So he was not sent to jail or anything. And that uh, guy's ended like up being <laughs> like sort of kind of lucky, if you could call it that. So there was the one guy at Enron who there's a book about Enron called Pipe Dreams. And its author, Robert Bryce, says, quote, Lou Pai's predilection for strip clubs and the high life got so extreme and he was submitting so many expense reports for it at Enron that Ken Lay actually put out a company-wide memo saying that Enron would no longer reimburse big expenditures from strip clubs. It's amazing. End quote. Because apparently they were doing that for a long time, and then, then they didn't. But yeah, so this one Enron executive came out fine because he extramaritally impregnated him. a stripper and then <laughs> and then married her later. And it was a whole there's a whole crazy wrinkle there where because wow, Ken that. Lay and Jeff Skilling and a few other key executives are the famous Enron guys who went down. Yeah. Skilling then, was like last seen yelling at traffic in New York or something. And yeah. But Ken Lay died of a heart attack like a week before he we was supposed to report to prison or something like that. Oh. You know, because we've we have done this. Like, you know, they get a heart attack and then they you know, you got to get, you know, the Sultan of Brunei has to leave the country. And, you you know, it's like, you know, we have smuggled people out of the Eastern Bloc in the radiator of a car, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> you know, I would not be surprised if uh, he had symptoms resembling a heart attack and then his body was taken. And right now he's on an island because he didn't want to spill the beans on his good friend who was the president of the United States at the time. Oh. George W. Bush is Texas energy business buddy. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't. It wouldn't surprise. I'm not saying it's true, but it wouldn't surprise me. One iota. I do remember the Enron scandal being like, just sort of thematically tied to that current Bush administration because oh, yeah. we well, were like, oh, they're, they're all, all friends, and it's indicative of their lack of morals. And yeah, so, it was yeah. all Houston. You know, all Texas all, people. Ken Lay, who was 64 years old. When he died from an apparent heart attack, was facing the prospect of spending the rest of his life in prison after being convicted of fraud and conspiracy charges in May. And he was at his luxury ski chalet in Aspen. And, you know, I believe <laughs> that it is very possible to have gotten himself disappeared. Well, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I'm not saying yeah. it's happened. 
But if you told me it did happen, I'd go, yeah, that tracks. Maybe as a rounding off thing, another thing I like about these crazy details inside of scandals is they make me less interested in conspiracy theories. Because, like, there's already a nuts thing to, to yeah. learn, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I don't oh, yeah, need lizard yeah. people to be involved. No, like, you don't. There's this crazy stripper executive. Yeah, but the way we, like, get, you know, you know, these guys out of the country and, you know, there are doubles. You know, Obama had a double that they would, when they oh, would sure. go to a city. And, you know, this stuff's doable. Yeah, you don't need to bring in the... The aliens. Or yeah. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, or did, did you see... The the best depiction of all of this stuff is have you seen Dark Waters yet? The no, Mark I Ruffalo seen movie. It's great. No. It's about Dupont covering oh. up that chemical that went into Teflon that poisoned all these people, mm. and it's just about how they just when you think they can't get any shittier, they do something a hundred <laughs> times shittier on a massive scale. <laughs> They're basically suing the victims of their own evil plan to prevent them from appealing. You know, it's just like, of course, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's just like, that's the best way to describe what goes on in this country. But yeah, <laughs> Just when you think it couldn't get worse. Oh, wait, it hasn't started yet. Keep digging. Yeah. yeah. Keep digging. Oh man. So true. Folks, that's the episode for this week. My thanks to Dana Gould for so much wisdom about all these different scandals uh, and also like people he knows related to them, which is just astounding. Uh, also, having been to the Watergate Hotel at all, that's like that's a real uh, achievement of American life. I think that's the thing everybody should do. And in our food notes, you will find the many cracked sources and outside sources, because we always feature both, that we use to assemble this episode. I extra recommend a piece there from Newsweek written by Jeff Stein. The piece covers Stephen King, not the horror author, uh, but the Nixon administration goon who is now a full-on ambassador to the Czech Republic. Maybe maybe we should just make the worst Americans our ambassadors, right? Because then every other person they meet is better. I don't know. It's a strategy. Let's look at it. And, of course, there are many, many links there for the works and shows and other things of Dana Gould. And, again, you can see the show with two heads where he and Bobcat Goldthwaite perform together. Santa Barbara, California, February 3rd. Atlanta, Georgia, February 6th. Athens, Georgia, February 7th. And Asheville, North Carolina, February 8th. Then you can see Dana on his own at the Dr. Grins Comedy Club in Grand Rapids, Michigan, February 13th, 14th, and 15th. Links for tickets are in our food notes. And beyond all that, our theme music is Chicago Falcon by the Budos Band. This episode was engineered by Stephanie Aguilar at Western Sound in beautiful downtown Los Angeles, California. Then it was edited by Chris Souza in beautiful, undisclosed location. If you love this episode, that's great. If you hated it, let me know about it on social media. That's right, social media. A fun way to find out the latest scandals alongside, you know, like clips of sports and weird gifs and stuff. There's a lot there. My own Twitter account is at Alex Schmitty. My Instagram is at Alex Schmitzstagram. And I'm on the wider internet at my website, alexschmitty.com. That's got my show dates, my fun email newsletter of free internet stuff tips, and more. And I'm here to say we will be back next week with more Cracked Podcast. So how about that? Talk to you then. <laughs>